following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. And moving on, I believe, to verse 13. Yeah. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I'll also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, When you are praising God in the Spirit, how can someone else, who is now put in the position of an inquirer, say amen to your thanksgiving, since they do not know what you are saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. For the word of the Lord. Good evening. Let us pray. Lord, may your word take root in our hearts and transform our lives. Amen. Last week, as those of you who were here may recall, we heard Paul talk about the most excellent way of love. To summarize that passage, love is good, It's better than the alternatives. And we looked at how Paul's talk about love was not so much a sweet, self-standing poem or hymn about love, but more was something deeply integrated with the particular issues on which the Corinthian church was showing a marked lack of love. Some of which, to bring us on to this week's passage, were to do with who had which gifts, how they used them, and what worship was like at St. Nick's Corinth. 
the church in the Corinthian marketplace. This week, Paul is arguing about two gifts in particular. One, the gift of speaking in tongues, which involves speaking or praying or worshipping in a language that is not one's own language. The jury is out on whether it refers to being miraculously enabled to speak other foreign languages that in theory someone might recognize, or whether it's a heavenly language not known to Earth's native language speakers. And strangely enough, I have no new information on that, so I won't be able to resolve that one for you. And two, the gift of prophecy, or speaking forth the truth about God, where again, the jury is out on whether this refers to a kind of sudden and invasive gift of prophetic utterance, or to any kind of truthful speech about and on behalf of God, which might include, for example, preaching or telling the truth to one another. I don't really have any new information on that either, but on that one I do actually have an opinion which I might share with you later. Now, how to put this? I sometimes find that, the, uh, that Paul, the Apostle Paul, holds forth with quite complicated arguments that twist and turn and ponder and probe their way through complex topics until he gets to deep theological conclusions. And I also find that this happens quite a lot in 1 Corinthians. But, and I say this slightly nervously, I don't think that is the case here. I actually think, for what it's worth, that his argument here is relatively straightforward and not all that controversial. I expect you to prove me wrong. Perhaps you will find him hard to follow, and perhaps you will find him controversial. So to aid me in the task of explaining what the Apostle Paul is arguing in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 this evening, I propose to make sense of it all using the six characters from the game of Cluedo. Do we have a visual aid? We do. Let me introduce to you Mrs. Peacock, Colonel Mustard, Miss Scarlet, I'm going the wrong order, aren't I? Professor Plum, the Reverend Green, and Dr. Orchid, who has been part of the set since 2016, in case you were wondering. And more importantly, I am going to explain 1 Corinthians 14 by comparing and contrasting a Greg's meal deal and a flat white avocado on toast with side salad. What could possibly go wrong? These illustrations will work best if you keep all your normal prejudices intact, which appears to be what the Corinthian church were doing with spiritual gifts. 
And one other thing for the benefit of American listeners, Cluedo goes by the name Clue in America, but it was a British game first in the 1940s, so I'm sticking with Cluedo. Americans who are confused, think of Homer Simpson talking about Clue and you'll be fine. No stinting on the historical research for this sermon. Okay, so here goes. Mrs. Peacock likes, she's bottom left by the way, Mrs. Peacock likes a Greg's meal deal. It's her regular lunch and it nourishes her. She's fine, says Paul. Some people look down on her for this and suggest that God's people should not be eating Greg's meal deals, but that's their problem. Paul refers us back to his previous comments on love. He also tells us that he eats more Greg's meal deals than anyone, as if daring the naysayers to take him on, but that he wouldn't bring one to church, as it were. It's for his private edification. Colonel Mustard is particularly excited about Greg's meal deals, and he thinks everyone should eat them all the time. Although he's never been able to explain to anyone the health and nutritional benefits of this diet. He is, to paraphrase Paul, a bit of a pain. <laughs> it's one thing to enjoy your takeaway lunch, as Mrs. Peacock does, but it's not good to act as if this makes you a better person. One option, says Paul, is to be like Miss Scarlet, who buys Greg's meal deals and gives them away to other people using the Corinthian equivalent of the Big Bin project. She is feeding other people, which, says Paul, was pretty much the point of having meals to eat in the first place in the kingdom of God. Are you with me so far? Professor Plum prefers avocado on toast at flat white. He cannot believe that any of God's people are satisfied with a Greg's meal deal. It is surely self-evident, he says, in that turn of phrase that marks him out as a professor. It is surely self-evident that one should occupy oneself with avocado on toast. Paul has talked about him in an earlier chapter as it happens, and he thinks he's a bit puffed up and full of himself. Paul is much more positive about Dr. Orchid, who is also a fan of flat white and also likes avocado on toast, but who shares it with as many people as she can to nourish them all, because she too has got the point that feeding other people is what the food is for. The Reverend Green thinks that eating at flat white is what it is all about, and he wishes his whole congregation would do so, and that they could quietly drop having people use Greg's. Any questions? <laughs> when the people heard this parable of the meal deal and the mashed avocado, they said, explain it to us. Tell us what it, <laughs> tell us what it means. So think of it like this, in case you haven't had the aha moment yet. The Greg's meal deal in this illustration is the gift of speaking in tongues. Some people, Mrs. Peacock, 
do it for themselves. They edify themselves. They pray in the Spirit. And that's great, says Paul. Verse 4, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. Verse 5, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, which I paraphrase to mean, I would be perfectly happy if every one of you spoke in tongues. Some people, Colonel Mustard, speak in tongues in public thinking that this is what everyone needs to hear. Hmm, says Paul, not so fast. This relates to verse 9, which we didn't actually read. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. So Paul does not think this is very helpful for our corporate worship. In contrast to his being happy, if you recall, for Mrs. Peacock to speak in tongues all she wants for her own edification. Miss Scarlett, who was the one dishing out meal deals via the Corinthian Big Ben scheme, if you're following, she represents a third option. She's interpreting the speaking in tongues, whether of herself or of other people is not the point. The point is that she is taking speaking in tongues and interpreting it for the benefit of other people. Paul likes this. Verse 13, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. This allows God's people to say amen with you, since if your tongue's speaking is not interpreted, verse 16, people will not know what you are saying. So far, so good. But there are a few more steps in the argument. Flat white avocado on toast plays the role in this illustration as you may anticipate, of the gift of prophecy. You'll never be able to go to Greg's or Flat White again without reflecting on Paul and 1 Corinthians. That's the result as far as I'm concerned. Professor Plum, slightly marginal to this chapter, I confess, is someone who values the knowledge that comes from pondering, teaching or preaching or words from God and rather despises any other kind of spiritual activity such as speaking in tongues. I have in mind here Paul's words at the beginning of chapter eight, knowledge puffs up while love builds up. The church at Corinth seems to have had plenty of people who are excited about speaking in tongues uh, but also plenty of other people who think it's all about head knowledge or understanding and, to be blunt, being clever in their Christian life, which annoys Paul intensely, not least, I presume, because he was a trained rabbi and he probably knew Scripture better than any of them. But also, and here we do come back to chapter 14, anyone who looks down on other people's spiritual gifts is missing the heart of it all, the love which makes any of this worthwhile in the first place. Dr. Orchid is a prophet, maybe a preacher, perhaps someone in the habit of telling truth to people, though this would not, of course, bypass love. Paul really has no category in 1 Corinthians for people who attack, dismiss, or criticize others in the name of telling them the truth, if it's not done with love, then it is not worth a thing in Paul's view. 
But Paul really likes Dr. Orchid's ministry. Verse 4, anyone who prophesies edifies the church. Feeding other people equals edifying the church, in my analogy. Though, come to think of it, that is simply true, and not an analogy. To edify the church is to feed people. And finally, Reverend Green wants everyone to be a prophet, or perhaps a preacher, telling people God's word or words. And here again, Paul has a problem. Because while he is encouraged and excited by the ministry of prophecy, he absolutely does not think that it has to be valued, so valued that we end up dismissing other gifts and ministries. Which is why, friends, I tried to think of two options in my illustration that tend to come with some value judgments and prejudices, indeed, attached. Is it possible that some people eating at flat white look down on some people eating at Greg's? This should not be. Is it possible that some people eating at Greg's do not much care for the flat white crowd. This too should not be. So to speak plainly, because it's all been warm up so far. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 14 is about the corporate worship life of the church. The simple key is this, everything should be done in the love that Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 13. And that means in practice that spiritual gifts should be used to edify the church, i.e. to build us up, to draw us closer to God. If you speak in tongues, this will work to edify yourself, but it will not edify others unless it is interpreted using what Paul called back in chapter 12, another gift, the gift of interpretation or interpretation of tongues. If you prophesy, which I do think means broadly, tell people what God is saying, so I do personally think it might include preaching, though it's clearly not limited to preaching, then you do edify others. Paul is deeply frustrated that people with one of these gifts seem to be looking down on people with the other one. Hence his provocative testimony, verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, dot, dot, dot. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others, that's the edification thing again, than 10,000 words in a tongue. Personal testimony. I have been myself in the past, part of a charismatic church that took these words of Paul seriously. And when someone spoke out loud in tongues during the service, the expectation was that the service leader would intervene and ask for someone to exercise the other gift of interpretation of tongues in order for it to make sense for the whole congregation. And so we would pause and wait 
to listen and learn. It's the same God who gives both gifts. And if Paul is right in 1 Corinthians 14, God is not going to fail to come through with the interpretation. Could this go wrong? Yes. But that's not a reason for not doing it in Paul's view. Not least since, as he knows well from his showdown with Peter, preaching can go wrong too, as can prophecy, and indeed every spiritual ministry can go wrong. But that is not a reason to not exercise a ministry. It's a reason for thoughtful and humble evaluation of all things. Time fails us to follow through how Paul sees out this argument in the rest of the passage. There's an interesting bit where he quotes from Isaiah about foreign languages as a sign of judgment. You can ask me about that afterwards if you want to know more about it. And I'll close by picking out a couple of headline verses from how the chapter wraps up. End of verse 26. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. And then some clear practical advice on how to handle tongue speaking in public along the lines I've just sketched out. And then the final verse and a half, be eager to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Well, I don't know whether I have persuaded you or not that this is a relatively clear argument. I don't know whether you identify yourself as more of a Mrs. Peacock or a Reverend Green or any of the characters in between. Whoever you are, young or old, newly arrived, or long-term St. Nick's worshipper, it is not possible that the God who has gifted you with faith is not also gifting you with other spiritual gifts to build up the life of the church. Tongues and prophecy may not be your gifts, but whatever gifts you have, be eager to use them for the building up of the church, which is to say, in the service of the love that Paul spoke about in 1 Corinthians 13. Let us pray. Lord God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, giver of all good gifts. Make us people who build up your church, now and always. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St. Nick's Durham podcast. If you'd like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St. Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org. Dot UK.